This episode is sponsored by our friends at Musicbed. Find the perfect song for your films with a highly curated roster featuring hundreds of artists, bands, and composers. As a good listener, you can get your first month of subscription free or 20% off a single song purchase. Just enter promo code GOOD when you check out. Also this season, we're continuing to give away a ton of content over at Patreon, sharing treatments, behind-the-scenes photos, and ways to interact with our guests from each episode. To become a patron, check out patreon.com slash goodthepodcast. Hey guys, my name's Christian Schultz, and this is Good. everybody welcome back to another episode of good today we have a very special episode um with a sort of mentor of mine um i don't think he would call himself that but i put that upon him uh, a director named cole webley who um, is a very well-known commercial director but seriously he's just a fantastic director all around um He's done sh- uh, plenty of short films, uh, award-winning short films, award-winning commercials, uh, and how he wants to move all of that into features coming soon. So uh, he's in a very interesting point in his career where he's very successful, but at the same time, he wants to do more, which is a very interesting time for us to listen to him and what he's um, what he's learned from the last couple years and, and the career that he's had. We talked a, a little bit in length about uh, a Super Bowl ad that he directed a couple years ago for a company called 84 Lumber. And I think it might be a good idea to go watch that so you have a good reference for some of the details that we would talk about. But mostly we just talk about uh, the behind the scenes of, of maybe getting a job like that and what it feels like to have that opportunity. So sit back, enjoy this interview with uh, director Cole Webley. Or maybe and you're pretty or, young, right? You're 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 not. I'm 36. Yeah, you're fairly young. I don't feel that young, but 36 is. <laughs> I get. I keep people keep telling me that it's young, but those people are generally older than me. Right. <laughs> yeah, my like my management, everybody that's around me in my career, are like you're so young, and yeah. I'm like I don't, you know, like I don't really feel that way. But um, I mean, I started my life pretty early in terms of being an adult getting married at 22 and having our first kid in 23 and I have four kids and stuff. So I have been playing the role of a grown up for a long time now. Right. I moved to Utah for college. I'm a Washington boy. I grew up in Washington state, rural, rural Washington. Um, and you went to college here and you did, yeah, I went out to I went out to BYU. I, I did a year of like I knew I was going to be a filmmaker right. very early, so like I kind of had a plan in place, and I did a lot of prerequisites to the film program there at BYU, and then I left and was a missionary for my church for a couple years, and right. lived in the Dominican Republic, learned Spanish, which actually has been a huge asset for me. And creatively, I just got back from shooting my last spot in Barcelona and shoot a lot in Mexico and 
Uruguay and Chile and Spain and all that stuff. So, uh, and then I, you know, I met a Utah girl and, um, she's amazing. And so we married and I kind of stayed here, which is like, I'm up in Salt Lake city, close to, uh, close to a big airport. Right. And I love this place. I've been here. So dude, I've been here since 2004 full time. Yeah. I bet there's, there's probably worse places you could live. It's amazing. And I'm one of those guys who like, um, completely, uh, wastes and spoils the, like <laughs> the opportunity. I mean, mm-hmm. I haven't even been, I've driven through Zion, which is one of the most amazing places on planet earth. Right. Um, I think I drove through their location scouting for something like really when I was really young in college, we were shooting something, but I haven't taken my family there. The only reason I've gone to Bryce, uh, which is one of the other big parts is because I was shooting a nature Valley spot Mm. with with all the national parks. So I have yet to scratch the surface of like how amazing this state is. Um, but I intend to do it. I guess it is sort of a movie town, right? But it doesn't really feel like it's a, big movie town it feels like a specialty kind of place yeah there's just like a lot of off a lot of um, locations and things that this the town offers i mean there's always a couple shows going out here yellowstone is shooting there's a couple disney shows out here there was like a producer back in the 80s i think who was like uh well connected to utah who started bringing disney work out here Mm -hmm. and i think it's been you know, just down the road is where they shot. My kids go to that. We'll, we'll go to the high school where they shot high school musical oh, and right. like all that stuff that started the rage back in the early two thousands or whatever. Um, so it's a good movie place. I mean, like I plan on trying to bring my first movie here. Um, it's not set. It's, it's actually set in a different place. So we may struggle to really shoot it in Utah cause the geography is so different, but, uh, yeah, I want to shoot. I want to bring it back here and shoot movies here. Dude, tell me about the sort of mindset you have about transitioning or kind of commingling commercials and and features in the future. And because I, you know, you're trying to do that now. Yeah. What is that sort of? Do you, how do you see that playing out in your in your career? Um. Yeah. It's a learn as you go kind of thing. I mean, I always wanted to make films and I was two years, you know, or like in my third year of film school, when I was kind of introduced to the idea of like possibly launching a career as a commercial director. Um, and so I did like a full swing, uh, towards that. Once I kind of, that became, that came on my radar and I discovered the work of like these young filmmakers now, you know, they're like 10 and 15 years older than me, but like the Mark Molloy's and the Rupert Sanders of the world and understood like, wow, that's like a really cinematic format. It does. It's not what I always considered, you know, the best commercials. It's so odd. You just don't see them on TV. Um, you have to discover them online some, for some reason. And, uh, so once I discovered that, I kind of like, I had seen a few of my peers make films that they weren't happy with and, they uh or they got this little movie there was like this weird um uptick in like independent movies happening in utah at the time too you know two hundred thousand three hundred thousand dollar pictures that were like being made and they just weren't good and and so i kind of was like well i don't i definitely don't want to do that uh so let me just go home my craft and so full tilt into that um 
but all the while, like I was, it's like always been a, how do I just get into making my first film? And then ironically, like my reel started to change and the industry started to change and really embrace the long form commercial. Um, and then, you know, once, uh, this online world became available, like the creative changed and I wasn't like beholden to a 30 second timeline. So I actually was just reminiscing with my rep about this today. It's like ironic. I get hired now, you know, on the pretense of like, let's make a great two minute short film. Right. And, uh, yeah, we'd have to, we have to do a 30 and 60 second cut down, but, um, you're really here because we love how you handle story and stuff like that. So oddly that's been like really exhilarating for me. I think it started a lot when everybody got to see the 84 lumber work I did. And then from there it's, it's, it's kind of snowballed into uh, most of the boards I get are let's make this great film. And then, Oh yeah, we have to make a 60 second cut down. Right. Right. Um, and then that has segued into like just ma- the right people around me, management agents in terms of, you know, seeing the capacity to be a longer form storyteller. And I've made a, you know, seven or eight short films, some that have had mild success on the circuit and some that were very, very well received and embraced by Vimeo, thankfully. And, um, and that, that helps. So, yeah, it's been a process like right now it's been a year and a half or two of working on, the script i have one script in my back pocket that i paid a screenwriter to do that i really love and then stumbled upon like this idea that i have been um dreaming about for a couple years and then have spent the last couple years writing that as well and um it's almost go time man it's almost time to just lay everything out on the table and and decide when we're going to shoot this thing and then go convince people to give us a few bucks to do it you know First of all, like when you get uh, a call, do you know it's the Super Bowl? Like, do you know it's for the Super Bowl, or do you think it's something else? No, it co- you, it comes with that like baggage. You know, what you, happens when you read that, or when someone t- <laughs> when someone tells you that? <laughs> well, I guess for us commercial directors, it's a little bit like um, you're. It's like you know, just the idea that you're working in as a as a you know, a mainstream commercial director for the U S market, um, which is, I think the, it's not the healthiest creative work, but it's the healthiest like budget. Usually right. uh, German, Germany has good money over there too, but, um, it's like you're a professional filmmaker already, but then, you know, and if you're working, if you're a working director in that world, but then when you hear like, Hey, you're bidding this commercial for the Super Bowl, it's a little bit like, you know, am I at, is this the all-star team and I, am I going to make the cut or whatever, you right. know? Yep. Um, so there is like, uh, yeah, there's some, there's some weight and kind of expectations that come with that, but yeah, definitely the first call is like, Hey, this is a super bowl spot. They have this much time to pull this script together. Uh, you know, specifically for that 84 lumber thing, I w- had taken this, regrettedly I had taken this job in Dubai and I was like on the other side of the world and I was taking these calls in the middle of the night to pitch on this thing. I remember like, um, you know, you, you write your treatment, you have a second call on my second call. I was literally running through the Dubai airport, 
to catch my flight on December 23rd so that I could get home on Christmas Eve and be with my family. Was this um, the, 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 like the walkthrough, like your walkthrough or, or, or yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was like, I had kind of like taken their script and really tried to bring something to it. So it wasn't just like a, Oh, we're going to shoot it like this and we're going to go to Mexico and we're going to do this and that. It was like, you know, I, it was like the biggest pitch of my life for a script that I was right. desperately loved. And I'm like <laughs> running <laughs> through and, and like my producer's texting me and he's like, he, it sounds like you're like breathing heavily. Are you okay? Oh, you know what I mean? I'm like, N- yeah, I'm like literally trying to catch my <laughs> flight so that I can be home at Christmas. Uh, and then, you know, from Dubai, I land in Paris and I had, of course, had a lot of help with my image research for the, the, the deck and I land and I see it and I'm just like gutted because it just doesn't represent me, you know? And wow. so then I, I realized I've got like a three hour layover in Paris and I have to completely redo the visuals of this treatment. The text was all there, but it was like the visual palette was just not right. And you were, so just to clarify for people who don't know, sometimes stuff, stuff that's this large, you'll hire a, a designer to help you kind of, especially if you're working. Yeah. It's just mostly about bandwidth, you know? Right. Um, I, I like my hands all over that stuff. Some guys, I mean, if you get to a certain point, some guys, they, they just, I don't know if they do do much. Like I don't see John Hillcoat sitting through and sifting and choosing every yeah, end. Exactly. You know what I mean? Uh, a guy and there's who, people out there that do it better than you, you know? Absolutely. Like, yeah. Well, des- design, especially, I mean, like I, I always felt like if I wasn't a filmmaker, I'd probably be an interior designer or, a, yeah. or like a designer or an architect or something like that. Um, uh, but yeah, they do. And you just don't have the bandwidth sometimes, you know? Right. So this was a case where I always usually write my text, um, because that is what I think wins the jobs is just the ideas and the clarity and the voice behind the work. Um, but I often will have a research team pulling images for me and then cobbling that and putting it together in a deck, which I'm usually not yeah. stoked about, but <laughs> do you, know, do you, you just, ever have, do you ever write something? Do you ever write a, you know, a white page document and then send that to a writer? Is there ever a case for that? All the time. So for example, if I'm in the thralls of a production and I can't sit down and write, you know, A to Z, my treatment, I mm-hmm. write all the idea sections, sometimes in bullet form, sometimes like quickly broken down, but, you know, there's a format to these treatments that are, that have been tested and, and tried and works well. So there's kind of like a structure that it's easy and clear to follow, but you know, it's those ideas that hopefully make me unique as a a human, you know? And so I will always, you know, sit there and think about the character or the, or the structure or the arc or whatever. I mean, I'm very much a guy who gets hired because of like character and story and, and less about style and, uh, interesting. you know, like, look, you know, like I feel like there's guys out there and girls out there who do that so much better than me. And so typically the scripts that I'm getting are, you know, how are we going to take this character from this point to that point? Um, and that's like requires thought, you know, it's not like throw a, throw a bunch of images together and I'm not, saying that's any less work, but it, it just requires a lot of thought to try and, I mean, 
figure out how to do that right. So yeah, I landed in Paris and the story was there, but like then the image palette was not. And I had three hours to quickly like redo everything. And then I send it off and I'm being told, you know, by my people that like, Oh, they're, they have to award this in the next three hours. New York's waking up in four, you know, New York wakes up in four hours. They're going to client and awarding it. Uh, and they still haven't seen my final treatment and you know, all this stuff. Well, ironically, I felt really good about this job and I like really, you know, I spoke Spanish. I had all this like, um, history with uh, a couple of my short films were these Spanish language short films and yeah. And we were driving on the calls and everything. And so it was like a real gut punch when I was like, Oh, this is nothing like I, what I had really envisioned. And, um, and to no fault of the image researcher, I like wasn't there picking and choosing every you know, every picture right. because I just like was on set. Um, but yeah, just hard work. And then you pull it together and you just say, you leave it up to the universe. I mean, yeah, I'd say like, you know, I went on this string of, I'm like a pretty faith is a big part of my life, I think. And right. I went on this string of like losses early, early in my career, like it's like seven or eight or nine pitches in a row, just losing, losing, losing. And I was like through all that <laughs> turmoil that I arrived at a point of like, hmm. uh, yeah. losses are going to come yeah. and there's going to be many of them. And, and you just like, you take it out of the hands of the universe and, and, you know, whether you believe in God or not, and you just say like, well, whatever happens, happens. And I'm okay with that. And there's a piece that comes with that. And so like, thankfully this came at a point in my career where, um, I was going to be okay if I lost it and it wasn't going to gut me, you know? And so you, that gives you a little bit of confidence and it gives you a little bit of like edge to just say, pitch your ideas and, you know, come what may it's either going to be your vision or there's someone else better for the job. Um, Hmm. in which cases a lot of times there's someone better for the job right? (laughs) or that has like an Oscar on their shelf or that has like four movies on, you know what I mean? Like, and I'm sure you're, you're bidding against some huge people. I don't know if you know who they are. I usually always know. Oh, on that job specifically, um, so that job was interesting because uh, it, w- it had like a big director attached who was uh, basically uh, pre-awarded the job and then pulled wow. out last minute. So that's why they kind of opened back up. And so they like opened it back up and literally had a week or, or maybe five days to award this thing. I mean, it was already way behind schedule. And so I know that they uh, were talking to uh, great directors. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I know who they are. I'm not going to say them, but like, they're like really, really good directors and people that I am inspired by and stuff. And, uh, for whatever reason. So, so you get home and so I'm sure I'm, so you were probably still out when they told you that they awarded you the job. I was, yeah, I was like over the ocean somewhere and my got finally got internet and my EP, um, let me know. Yeah. So it was like really exciting. Yeah. Did just, and not just because it was a Super Bowl thing, but like the script, you know, like I'll never have that script, right? Yeah, you just never, you'll never get that opportunity again in, in American advertising. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah, um, on such a big platform. 
you know, more people will saw that commercial than will ever see a film I make unless I make a, a Marvel movie. I mean, think right. about that. You know what I mean? It's yeah. like more people saw that commercial than went and saw um, eight of the nine Best Picture nominees last year. I guarantee yeah. it. That's what's insane about American culture. So on a technical um, technical note, not specifically about eighty four lumber, but on any set, I would say, what is what would you say is your responsibility on set as a director? Um. Well, I think it's uh, you. <laughs> you have to know what's going on, right? Like you're the captain of so many different departments. Um, that's why I've always felt. Uh, my journey as a director coincided with my journey as an editor. Um, it coincided with my journey as a cinematographer. I shot so much of my early work, um, myself. I, those are things that I think have helped me be a better director because I know on set, you know, I, I know how long the shot is going to last on screen, or at least I have a really good idea. I know at what angle or, you know, the lensing and all those things that are going to, uh, best achieve that. And therefore that trickles down into each department. Um, and so just like being able to captain the ship, you know, I, I am not this auteur who sits in my house painting while I'm not on set. You know, I don't sit in my room and conjure up amazing music. Um, I'm truly like half artist, half technician, half, hopefully leader half, you know, uh, cheerleader. Right. And, and I think that's like served me really well. That's what's so wonderful about the medium of film too. It's like, you have so many different, you know, personalities and so many different artists, quote unquote, who bring their world experience to it and therefore create sometimes just pure entertainment, sometimes really thought provoking work. Um, and, uh, you know, it's like it's interesting over the last 10 years working professionally to find my place in that world and just be like really secure in who I am as like a filmmaker, uh, as an artist and, and seeing how that, how I could best capitalize on like my strengths, you know? It always sucks to get bogged down in the editing process while you try to track down the soundtrack for your film. We've all been there, and so has the team at MusicBed. In fact, that's the entire reason why they built their platform. By collaborating with hundreds of artists, bands, and composers, they've made it easier than ever to find the perfect song for your film and get back to your editing. You can download a single song, get unlimited music with a subscription, or even create a custom song or score from scratch. Their roster is growing every day with more than 20,000 songs ranging from cinematic and electronic to indie rock and hip hop. To create your free account and learn more, go to musicbed.com. Plus, as a good listener, they're giving you one month of subscription for free or 20% off a single song purchase. Just enter promo code GOOD when you check out. You use a lot of different DPs, right? A ton. I actually did a list the other day. There was, you know, over 10 years, there's probably 25 names on there. Um, Why is that? Uh, well, 
if they're good, it's often availability. I work a lot That's and true. the guys that I like to work with work a lot. <laughs> and so we can't always yeah. team up. Um, uh, the other aspect is like, you know, I think you just should find people who push you. Um, you know, in part, it's like, I'm going to be three weeks in Santiago, Chile. And who do I want to yeah. be riding with in a van for every day? And that, so I've had DPs who I like, who are now like my best friends, right, you know, right. and, and just like a joy to be with every day. Uh, and then I have DPs where like, maybe I'm not, you know, we wouldn't hang out a lot if we lived in the same town, but like creatively we have just this spark together. Right. Um, so you kind of pick and choose and then all DPs come with their different personalities in terms of how they approach the work. And, um, you know, I'm not so lucky that every job I do is like unbridled creative freedom, you know? Right. And, uh, you know, who, which DPs will, operate well or better under the pretense of a job like that. Um, so they all come with, uh, their, you know, they all have this backstory to them that it helps me and helps inform who I try to get for the job. Yeah. Out of those 25 though, how many do you, would you say that you, you get a treat, are you writing a treatment and then you kind of, you know, is it five that you, you're like, I have to pick between these and obviously this 10 years ago, that's a, the yeah, I mean, I have, I have five, four or five that are like my first calls, right? you know, of that four or five, I'll look at it and I'll say, uh, okay. So I have like four or five jobs under my belt with these DPs or three or four and who, who do I think is going to be the best for this one? Um, and I start very early, like, like I, uh, I, the only reason I didn't call this DP was because he lives in Hawaii right now. And I was going to call him because I'm starting a pitch tomorrow. And I wanted to like get him, his brain, you know, thinking about my schedule. So I start really early that communication with him. Even before you, before you win a job, before you, you get awarded anything, you're already kind of making phone calls. Yeah. Cause if you don't, they just are booked up and everything. That's hey, so um, this is going to sound really douchey, but my housekeepers are here. Could you, let me just yeah, give me a okay. second to just tell them to give me my office for a while. Yeah, you're good. Was I a dick? No, you you prefaced it as saying this is going to sound really douchey when I do that. <laughs> it's like the, uh, yeah, the life of a successful commercial director, just like telling the housekeepers, you know, don't interrupt my podcast interview. <laughs> <laughs> dude, this is what happens when you have four kids dude, oh my and God. you travel like I do. Yeah, dude. You learn the ways in which you want to keep your wife and your family sane. And part of that is that you get a freaking housekeeper and yeah. you get a freaking lawn, you know, you get a lawn guy because you're not going to have your wife mowing the lawn at yeah. nine o'clock at night after the kids go to bed, you know? <laughs> you guys have how many, you guys have three or four? Four. Four. It just yeah. feels like another level of like, like two <laughs> is like, man, I don't know how my wife could do this by herself when I leave. Have you heard that Jim Gaffigan joke? No. <laughs> he's like, everybody asks me what it's like to have six kids. And he's like, imagine you're drowning and someone throws you a child. <laughs> <laughs> 
It's like such a great joke. Yeah. I mean, on a small level, that is exactly how I feel. I made it through the, I made it through the tough years, man. We, we made it through, it was hairy here and there. It was like, uh, it was tough. I mean, my wife is a superstar. Um, and we've, we've been fortunate in that, like she, her career has been the home, you know? Yeah. And, and so, uh, for better or worse, cause that's, that shit's hard work. You know, that's really been a challenge at times. Um, yeah. but we made it through my youngest is four, almost he'll be five in August, end of August, I guess. So not quite. And then we have a 13, 11 and, um, eight year old. Everybody's turning age. My daughter just turned 11 today. I have a 12 year old turning 13 and Dude, that's crazy. And, yeah, but like it was, it was, and you know, at the early part of the, my career was when I was like sh- even traveling more. Um, it's interesting, like because I was working in more markets. Right. You know, you're just scrambling to try to build a reel, and so like I mean, I did a job. I was doing jobs out of Poland, India. Um, was that all through Uber content at the time, or th- would, were you no, repped like in that other was countries? just a rep. Yeah. Just reps in other countries, you know, you do the work like early in the career, you know, six years ago or so you were doing, I was doing like U S work that, um, you know, you're just like scrambling to be relevant and the scripts aren't great. Mm -hmm. Uh, and you're working and and you're like getting and you're making money and you're like, there's this, like, there's like this, this mirage of success because you go from being, a broke film student to like suddenly being paid, right. you know, like a doctor, but you're like, but like, you're not happy cause you're not getting the scripts that you want, right. you know? Um, so you just hustle and you try to find the scripts and in, in the markets that you can. And then you're scrambling to figure out how to like have this, you know, shoot this Polish thing that somehow you could make work for the U S market. Right. <laughs> That's interesting. Uh, so I traveled a lot more and, um, and now I can be more selective and, and kind of like I've honed down to just a few markets where I work mostly just in obviously the U S is takes up about 90% of my time. And then I'll do a job in Canada here and there. And then, uh, France and Germany. I've never cracked the UK, man. Really? Sadly, because they have such great scripts, but you know, like for every one of me, there's like 20 guys right. and 20 directors over there. Uh, who just are even more talented. It's such a ripe, you know, country for exceptional directing. Yeah. So for someone who doesn't have kids, you know, maybe when you first started 21, 22, 25, something like that. Um, I think I've always had kids. <laughs> <laughs> what, what is the, what would you tell somebody to be doing more of that you wish that you had done more of? Yeah. I mean, my perspective is one of like, um, you know, sometimes I look and I, and I think like, should I have just hustled and made a, a like a hundred thousand dollar feature and then hustled to make my, my, my next one at 250,000 or whatever. And then I read these articles of, um, these directors whose journey, uh, took so long. Um, Tangerine, what's that guy's name? Um, we're going to look it up. Sean Baker. Yeah. Sean Baker. So Sean Baker, I read this article in variety or something, you know, and Sean Baker is, let's find out how old he is. He's 48 years old. Yeah. He's 1971. 
And the guy has just broke his back making independent movies. And, um, and finally found success with Tangerine, which didn't really lead to a big project. And then even then took advantage of that and made the Florida project, right. which, which is still very small, still very small. And who knows what will happen on the next movie? You know, I mean, and I read this article where he, he was like living uh, on people's couches and like yeah. living at his mom's house like and like a true food. auteur, just like a, what you would think of if someone would say an auteur, right? Yeah. Yeah. But also like a broke artist, right, you know? Right. And, and like, but my cards weren't dealt that way for me in terms of, I had mouths to feed, right. you know, at, at 22, I had babies or 23, I had babies that needed food. And, and, um, so like, I, you know, I don't know that I could have done that. And I think those people are very strong. And, um, I mean, I don't know his personal life. I don't know if he's married or has kids. I don't think so. I think like when I was reading in the article, you know, he didn't. So, so like maybe that's the way for people, but I, I feel like I came at it pretty pragmatically and I said like, how can I somehow capitalize on this talent that I think I have at the same time expand on it. And, um, so what I would tell kid, you know, young filmmakers, um, you know, really assess like what you want out of the next five years. Do you want to have a house? Yeah. Does true. that not matter to you? Do you want to be living on someone's couch, but at the same time, just getting to create like the purest art that you want and whatever's right for that person, the answer is just to be doing, you know what I mean? Like I, I think there's more opportunity now than ever with, with the tools and filmmakers hands mm. to be doing, um, to be making stuff. I guess what I'm getting to, you know, just make it. And if it's not good, I shot something. Um, I hadn't shot a short film in a couple uh, maybe a couple years, two years or something. And I was like really antsy to, to step into the out of the commercial world for a second. And so this Christmas, like right before Christmas on Christmas break, I shot a little short film that was undercooked. Didn't really have a great idea, but I was like, I was going to force myself to do it. And I did it. And I don't think it's, it's not, I don't think it's good enough to show anybody. So right. I'm like, I was like, to me, then it was like just a couple thousand dollar exercise, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, and so I think people need to do more of that. I mean, it's probably a good never... lesson also for you to realize like how incredibly hard it is kind of again, because I mean like switching yeah. to something narrative, even if it's a short film, you're going to have a moment where you say to yourself like, Oh, I don't know what I'm doing. You know, where you could go on a commercial set and just pound it out because you out of muscle memory and repetition and just, you know what I mean? Yeah. Oh, go to a so world. You're kind of like, oh. I'm constantly gut checking whether commercial directing is making me a worse narrative filmmaker. That's so interesting. That's what I was going to ask, man. I'm like, the money is so good. The creative, sometimes it's not a hundred percent cooked and handed to you, right. but the, the box is there, you know? Yeah. I think if you, I'm so glad when like I see people like you who are making like intentionally, even if like you just said, like it's not good, that's still a success because you went out and you, you figured out 
what you need to do next time or you fit you you spent a little bit of money to to figure out something you know about the process of of maybe it's the writing maybe it's something you know i think it's, yeah i think so it's well in that case it was like yeah i tried to write something too fast and yeah it was just like not a great yeah it was it was the right but yeah i mean dude i it depends what you want out of this i mean i look i mean when i'm done i don't want my best known thing to be that one commercial i did for that one company right and i'm that's cool that that's good enough that's enough for some people um but i mean i'll be damned if like the best thing i ever did was a super bowl commercial and and i don't mean that like the best, you know, visually or, or whatever. I just want substance, you know, I want right. something that is indicative of like a little bit of my soul, you know what I mean? So like when I am done with all this, I, if I've this craft that I've devoted my whole career and life to, um, that there's just something that like stays on the bookshelf when I'm gone, you know? So, yeah. So I question whether commercials are making me, closer or better at that or not all the time. And I think what that, the root of that is, um, am I just going to the gym and lifting the weights or am I, am I really pushing myself to find who I am and make myself vulnerable and put myself there and find these stories that I think represents the way that I see life or or whatever it might be, you know? Um, and you can't do that in commercials. I mean, you, you, you only can to a certain extent, and then you have a six seconds, six second title card with a logo at the end, you know? So you just have to be careful, I think. Um, and, and just keep in mind, like, uh, you know, what is it all for and what do you really want to do? And I'm very, very blessed to have a career and I acknowledge that all the time. I think that if you can manage to somehow keep the fire where you're doing your absolute, you know, best on every project, that's never going to be a bad thing. Um, At the same time with age comes this understanding of what am I giving up in this moment, whether it's emotionally, physically, uh, mentally, whether it's time at home, what am I giving up? And for what reward? Um, it's such a weird game, man. It's yeah. such a weird existence. <laughs> because it's not like a yeah. lose-lose. It's a win-win, right? Yeah, win-win and that's situation. like a great situation to be in too. Eventually when you're like in this, you know, when a job comes in, it's like a win-win. If I don't win it, I got to be with my family. Yeah. If I win it, uh, that's like a great script. I got a shot at making something good here, you know? Right. Um but yeah, you. I think you try. You try to go for broke as much as you can. Um, Do you say no to things? Yeah, absolutely. You have to. Uh, I'm probably not as picky as some of my peers, um, but I don't think as many of my peers have four kids. You know, I'm going to have right. three weddings to pay for. I have three daughters, <laughs> and, and like last I heard, they're not cheap. <laughs> yeah. Uh, fortunately, like I don't live in California, so I'm not paying for private school. And like, you know, I get a lot more for my dollar out here, but yeah, I mean, 
you pass on stuff and that's part of the growing process too, is knowing when to pass, you know? What do you find yourself passing on now these days? Well, let me say this. Here's actually the next step is, and this took me a long time to kind of figure out too, was it's not only about passing, but it's also about pitching a way that is like, I only kind of want to do this script Mm, if we can make it this way. And, um, that's something I'm going through right now in the, with a script that I, I think on paper it's got all the, um, the chance to be successful, but it's like a spot that it's, you know, it's derivative of stuff we've seen before and we have to find a way to look at it with fresh eyes. Right. Um, otherwise I don't really want to, I mean, otherwise I don't want to do it. I've been gone too much this year. And, 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 and so like knowing that approach too. um, or knowing when, when you kind of get to, to that point too, it's like a, it's a good thing to do. And hopefully you have people in your life, your EPs and your sales teams who can help in that conversation. You know, I have been super fortunate, man, where I've had the same EP my whole journey. And that's like, I mean, that's so rare. I've been with the same EP for 10 years, two different companies. Um, I, I mean, I, 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 I would like to think that I could have left and gone to these bigger, more shiny companies, but to me, it's always just been about the relationship and the trust right. and, and the sense of family that I have and, and everything. And I've already embraced that my career is like this slow burn, you know, hmm. but it's always a slow burn upwards. And, um, and I think, uh, I just feel grateful yeah. for the people that are around me, you know? I guess I would say I'm in the middle of like three, I I think it's like three or four loses in a row, right? Yeah. Bigger pitches. And so the obvious thought that you have is, oh, that was it. Like that was my time. (laughs) And you know what I mean? Like you have this sort of panic and you're and you start like taking gripping jobs and like you start ACing for people because you're like, I'm done. I just got to make money. Um, I haven't had to do that yet, but do you have that thought even now? Like when you like, or is it, can you kind of hang your head on sort of the, or hang your hat on sort of the, uh, the mathematics of a career, you know? Yeah. I've had that thought before. Here's what I think. I think that I could relegate myself to making the money that I need to make without trying for about, I, I think that approach would have about maybe three years of a shelf life. I mean, like I could take, I could take the jobs that come in that I pass on that, okay. uh, that are low hanging fruit. Right. So you, you could, I could take this low hanging fruit work, make the money I need to make. And then in four years, my reel would be yeah. awful. Yeah. And then I would stop working. So yeah, I think like I, if I said, tomorrow I just am stopped. I'm going to vacation and I'm just going to phone in every pitch. I think I would do just fine, but I think that approach would give me about three or four years before, um, before I was garbage, you know, before my work was garbage and, and stuff. So, I mean, I think I've worked hard enough to give me that buffer. Um, who would ever do that? That's awful. (laughs) 
Right. I mean, but we probably both know people who are doing that right now. You know oh yeah. I, mean? I think there's a lot of people in the limelight of their career, you know, or the, what is it? The very end of their career where right. they're like, um, they're, they're kind of puttering out and doing that a little bit. I mean, it, it is a, there is a difference, I guess, between, you know, someone who has made, you know, take like a, a PTA or, or a Spike Jones or something like that. Right. Right. Their like leeway time of time that they couldn't give a shit is like a lot longer than ours. Because they, oh, they're like eternal, man. Right, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> like those, those two names, like, they could not work for 20 years. Show up at a studio yeah. <laughs> and be like, "I'm going to make this movie," and they would say, "Where do I sign?" Right. I mean, pro- probably not so easily, but like, yeah, those guys, you know, they're Hall of Famers, so they right. they're done. Yeah. Do you, do you have people and the filmmakers in your in your canon that you kind of say, um, "I want to be better than that." Like, I want to be there or do you kind of are you sort of beholden to the universe and sort of just let it go well first of all like the two names that you just said i think um it's incredibly difficult and dangerous to be some to be comparative especially when you look at like the people who are you know in the foreground of of that are these once in a generation brains, right. you know, the PT Anderson's like, we'd be lucky to have another PT. I think in terms of intelligence and in film intel- intelligence, I think like Damien Chazelle might be in that world. Like he may get there. Jordan Peele's probably the newest one. Yeah. We'll see like, like encyclopedia he, knowledge. Exactly. And, but I mean, Lee, like you're, t- you're talking about, Michael Jordan's Tiger Woods of our industries. I'm content being doing create great work. Like I think my, I mean, that sounds like a cop out, but I think what like someone who I've looked at and want to model my feature career after is not to say that we would do the same work. Um, but a Jeremy Saulnier or, um, a uh, Jeff Nichols, you know, like those two dudes who, you know, their work, they're really, really talented filmmakers and they're just getting a start. You know, they've each made their couple movies now. And, and those are people who I like, Oh yeah, I that's attainable. Like I can do that. And how do I do that? And I share the same manager as, as Jeremy over at anonymous. And so like, it's been a, topic of conversation it's like what was his path how does Hmm. of course he made blue ruin and and that was it and that hit and then you know you factor in how much luck and and good timing has to do with it i mean i'm a huge benefactor of luck and timing with 84 lumber losing that director having such a short amount of time uh you know what even brought me in on that pitch was one of the creatives had seen this like pretty cheesy Purina horse commercial. I did his wife sent it to um, him. He saw it. He was like, that's pretty good. Who is this kid? Looked at my website and watched my short films and was like, Oh my gosh, like this guy could pitch for our 84 lumber. Cause it's our, you know, this film. So I'm a huge benefactor of serendipity of luck. And then, so you look at these guys and you just look at the work and the hard work and, and, uh, and then you look at opportunities that have come from it and you just hope like yours is going to hit, you know? Yeah. Um, 
and I, you know, I'm a guy who hasn't made a feature film yet. And I've not really, really, really put all my efforts into that yet because my script isn't done, but I, I will be really curious as to what I think in three years from now. Yeah. Cause here, here's the bottom line, Christian, I'm going to make a movie. I'm either going to make it right. for $5 or a million dollars. Nobody's going to stop me from making a movie. I just hope that there's enough things that go right, that it's my vision, that it is a representation of my potential, that the story, you know, you know what I mean? That mm-hmm. I do everything that I can control. And then the rest is up to like, yeah. you hope that you that little yeah. fairy dust lands on you somehow, you know, yeah. and you get a chance to make another movie. Well, dude, any closing thoughts, any, any last words to the kids out there? Um, dude, go see a good movie. I can't, I can't wait to go get back to the theater. That's one thing I loathe about traveling is there's no time to go to the theater. And especially, especially like it's dude, it's our generation. All right. I'm going to get on the soapbox. It's our generation. By that, I mean, I'm probably at the, the tail end of it, like, cause I'm 36, but it's the 20 and the 25 year olds that are going to save the movie theater experience, which, yeah. which I think is essential to us as a culture and a community to not just watch everything online. Um, <clears throat> so go to the movie theater see a good movie, get inspired. I love it. It's like church. I get, you know, I go to Sunday worship and I get pumped up and I go to the movie theater and I get pumped up and it's like, it's good for the soul, man. This episode was mixed by Christian Strapko, or as I like to call him, my dear friend, Christian. You can also find us on Instagram and Twitter at goodthepodcast. 